Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number one of Unmasked. And I am your host, Neil Getzlow. Thank you so much for finding this podcast. I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit about the journey and what led me to create this podcast. I think you might find the story interesting. There's a book that uh, that I wrote as part of the journey. We'll get into that. And there's just, uh, we've got a lot of layers of the onions to peel on this. But thanks for joining. I, I'm glad that you're here uh, on this journey with me. Uh, I've got my producer, Ben, is with me. Ben, are, are you ready for this ride we're about to go on? Dude, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to do this for months. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I mean, you, and you know you know my story, so uh, you know what we're about to get into. Yeah. So, yeah, so this thanks is, for being here. This is one hell of an onion to peel. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it is, and that's the great thing. You know, we'll, we'll have so many episodes that we can just keep peeling and yeah, so we'll just we'll just hop right into this, and you might be thinking, well, what the heck is this show about? And you know, unmasked. It it came from the title of the book I wrote about my journey, and it's not an easy subject to talk about. My journey came from an addiction to pornography, an addiction to sex, and specifically paying prostitutes to have sex with me. But it, that is the the dark and ugly side of my journey. The the awesome part of my journey is that I went from that broken addiction person to building a relationship with God. And I'm not going to hide that at all. Because first and foremost, this podcast is going to cover faith and, and touch on that because I, I don't have a choice in discussing that. It, it's what changed my life, you know, building this relationship with God and, and finding Jesus like I said, it, it's it's what brought me to this point, so I, I can't ignore it. We're going to unmask a wide a variety of issues on this show. We're going to and we're going to take down some pretty heavy topics. Obviously, we're going to talk about pornography and and how how I might view it through my eyes today after suffering from an addiction from it. We're going to talk about sex addiction. I mean, those are my areas of expertise. I, I hate to say that that that's what those are, but that is what it is. And, you know, it's, it's because I've lived through both of those addictions, but, but I will say, I'm proud to say that I'm coming up on two years clean, two years since the last time I looked at pornography and, and, you know, that temptation for me is, is gone. It's not there anymore. So I, I'm going to share with you over, you know, over the course of these episodes and during this show, you know, what I've done to overcome those addictions, the mental health changes that I've made in my life, you know, we're going to unmask some real discussion around marriages and how to restore your marriage if things aren't looking good right now. And, and I certainly my wife and I have, I think we have a pretty unique journey to how we've gone from a marriage that was that should have honestly ended a couple of years ago to a marriage now that is stronger than it than it ever has been. We're going to talk about culture and, and what's going on in the world from a culture standpoint and how religion plays into that. And, and yeah, we're, like I mentioned, we're going to swerve heavily into faith. Like I said, that's what, that's, what's brought me here. And, um, if you're uncomfortable with that topic, it's okay. Like, I, honestly, I was too, when I used to think about religion and faith, you know, I'll, I'll let my, my uh, background, my upbringing growing up, I grew up Jewish. I lived in a, a, a suburb that was heavily Jewish in St. Louis. St. Louis, all my friends were Jewish. Um, they all went to temple. I did not. 
uh, but all my family is Jewish. But for me, it was never, you know, being Jewish wasn't a religious thing. It was, it was more of a cultural thing. I kind of like to think as, uh, as Seinfeld would say, you know, I was kind of in it for the, for the jokes and for the food. So yeah, I was, I was Jewish, but I would also say I was also pretty much for, for most of my adult life, I considered myself an atheist. So now we're going to pack a lot, unpack that a lot in future episodes. But yeah, I'm just, you know, just know that, it, you know, you're here for a reason. God has put us here together for this podcast that you're listening. No pressure here. I just want to share my, my story, my journey, and I'll leave it up to you to do with uh, the story once you hear it. And if it resonates with you and you want to hear more, keep listening because we're going to continue to, I think, have some great discussions, you know, and I know that since I sort of been very public about my journey with, uh, with addiction and, and especially addiction to porn and to sex, since I've, I've been very public with it, you know, I've just, I know it's a topic that's, that it's on everybody's mind. It's kind of, well, it's on everyone's mind, but no one's talking about it. You know, and especially when, as I, you know, think about as I did research for my book, and it was something over sixty percent of, of men who considered themselves Christian, uh, had looked in, uh, looked at pornography, at least once over the past thirty days. I imagine that's probably underreported, and I know that I just know that pornography is so prevalent in, in our world today. And you know, for me. It was a little bit harder to access porn when I was um, growing up, but today, you know, with the, with my boys and between my wife and I, I've got uh, five five boys between us, all over the age of eighteen. So they're adults now, but you can find whatever you need to find on your phone within the matter of seconds. And so we're going to get into that, and we're going to talk about it as this show kicks off here in in the weeks ahead. But I do ultimately, though. I know we're going to talk about some of the ugly stuff, which, which led me to this, this new life that I'm leading, but I really want this show to bring hope and encouragement to people. You know, no matter what you might be facing, no matter what addictions or demons are holding you back or holding you down, there is a way out and there is help. For me, it started with God. He gave me a path to take, but I still had to decide to take those steps. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw where he, he, he gave me some very clear direction of where I needed to go. And we're going to get into that here uh, in just a second. But again, I, I had to, ultimately, we also have free will. And the, the decision is ours uh, on what path we want to take. But I know when I start taking steps that follow in the footsteps of God, I know he, he blessed those and he changed my life. And so I know there's, again, if you're suffering from addictions, anxiety, depression, we're going to talk about those issues uh, on this show and hopefully bring some healing and, and have some good conversation about it as we go along. You know, this first episode of the show is, is being released in conjunction with the two-year anniversary. I, and I cannot believe it's been two years since my secret life got, my secret life got unmasked to my wife, Amy. So let's just get into it. This is episode one, Unmasking My Journey, part one. All right. So this, you know, I like to think of it like the, the story I'm about to tell. Yes, it's, it's, um, it's what I experienced, but it, this isn't really my story. This is God's story. And I've got the, um, you know, 
I've got the opportunity to share with everyone. So that's what we're going to do. And we, um, we're going to talk about pornography. So I was first exposed to porn at the age of nine. And I believe the average age of when someone might first get exposed to porn is around the age 11 or so. So I was an overachiever there. You know, one of the few things that I was an overachiever on, unfortunately, was, was that particular stat. So yeah, nine years old, I was first exposed to porn. And there was, um, so I, like I mentioned, I grew up in St. Louis and I lived like right, like literally like a hundred steps away from my elementary school um, in fourth grade. And behind my elementary school, there was this, there was this little forest area and it was affectionately called the play by, Playboy Forest uh, by the, the kids of the school. Uh, and that's really where my, my porn addiction started. So every, almost every day after school, when the weather was nice, we'd ride our bikes to this forest. There was like a little carved out area where there's a, a kind of a campfire setting in the middle, some logs around to, to um, sit on and just kind of strewn across the floor of this forest were all these ripped up pages of Playboy magazines. And it wasn't the whole magazine. And there definitely were not any articles for us to read, although we were nine years old at the time. So we probably wouldn't have understood what we were reading anyways. But we got, we got to the, the quote unquote good stuff. Uh, the images that were uh, ripped out from that magazine. And uh, that was the first time that I was exposed to porn. And like, it just, it just grabbed hold of my heart and, and it wouldn't let go. And, and, um, and it, it impacted my mind. And from that moment on, and, and probably for, you know, for the next 40 years or so, uh, porn became almost an everyday occurrence for me. And um, yeah, I, you know, I, don't, <laughs> I think about that. And I'm like, I just, it's hard to understand how it happened. And, 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 um, but I have gone back and, and I've, you know, look, and I've, I'm not ashamed to admit this either, not only obviously asking for God to help save me from that world, but uh, also there's a mental health component to this and, and trying to understand why I was using this addiction to porn and later an addiction to sex, why was I using those things to, to fill up my heart? And, you know, so it was interesting, you know, um, and we'll get to how this all came, how I sort of was uh, unmasked to my wife um, coming up here in just a minute. But um, I did, you know, one of the things I did uh, was talk to a counselor um, when I tried to get help for my pornography addiction. And the first question he asked me, which was, uh, my, um, was a very interesting question. He asked, he asked me, Neil, what's the first thing you had to remember how to learn when you were a little kid? And it just, the question sort of like, wow, that's a really interesting question. And I thought about it for a minute and then sort of like the light bulb went off in my head and the answer was I had to learn how to be alone. So again, going back, I'm, I'm nine years old. My parents just got divorced. My siblings were all older. They were already out of the house. We then had to move. I had to move away from the Playboy Forest. So I moved into an apartment with my mom. Uh, and this is the late 70s, early 80s time frame we're talking about. 
and I became the typical latchkey kid. And, and especially during the summer, um, there were no other kids around. I was basically home alone because now my mom was working 40 hours a week where she wasn't working before. So I had a lot of time to be alone. And I had this hole in my heart because I was feeling unloved from my family. And I could not, I, I tried my, my best to fill it up, but I was just in pain from being alone and from feeling unloved. And so on either side of my mom's bed were these two nightstands. And on these nightstands were just stacks of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. And that's what I learned how to medicate myself. And it's, and what my counselor told me, which is something that I've just, uh, you know, I think about often is I was in a shame cycle as young as 10, 11 years old. And the shame cycle went like this, you know, I have this hole in my heart because I'm feeling unloved and I, I can't fill it with anything. Um, I'm going to try to find, I'm going to try to fill it with something and it's going to be pornography. So I'm going to look at this porn and I feel better for a minute, but then after I'm done looking at this porn, I instantly feel shame. And then I think to myself, well, this is why nobody loves me. This is why I'm alone. And then I have this hole in my heart again, and then I have to fill it back up again. And that shame cycle repeated itself over and over and over again uh, over the course of, uh, you know, the next 40 years of my life. It was something that, it was a cycle that I just, I couldn't break until God forced me to break it myself. And so, you know, again, think about the timing here of living in the 80s. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones to look up porn. So yeah, magazines were, were the way to do it. And, you know, this is, it just felt like a rite of passage, honestly, for the most part. But what was happening to me is my childhood was being seduced. You know, I'd go over, you know, go over to my next door neighbor's friend's house. And, you know, no matter whose house you went to during the 80s, it was always the same question. You'd, you'd go and you'd play outside and then you'd come inside. And then the question would in, inevitably get to, well, where's your dad's porn stash? Or in my case, where's your mom's porn stash? And that's what you did with your friends. You'd go look at the, the stash of, of Playboy magazines. And again, that, that's how my, you know, my childhood's how my how the culture of, of my childhood seduced me but also think about it how um cable tv was just getting underway uh, in the early 80s as i was growing up so now i've got mtv being beamed into my house with these videos with some very attractive women who were not wearing a lot of clothes dancing all over the screen uh if you are if you are also a, a child of the 80s you'll remember the the Friday night tradition of after your uh, mom or dad went to bed, turning on a scrambled Showtime signal with, with just sort of blurred lines. But every now and then when Showtime was playing one of their late night softcore movies, if you kept it on long enough, sometimes for like every five, maybe for just five seconds, it would, you'd actually get a clean picture before it scrambled again. And if you were lucky, sometimes you got to see something that, um, that maybe you shouldn't have seen. So, you know, that's how I spent my, my Friday nights growing up. The other thing that 
that cable TV brought to my house was on demand porn on video, which was which was new to me. And if you think about, you know, if you've stayed in a hotel, you probably have come across those adult entertainment channels where you can order any sort of movie you wish. And that's that I had that in my mom's apartment. And what I discovered was you could order, you could jump into an adult movie through the cable company. Before two minutes were up, you could jump back out and you wouldn't get charged. So uh, here I am as a, as a 14 year old thinking, well, I could do this like for an entire movie and not get charged. How awesome is this? So I would watch uh, full episode, full, full porn movies, you know, like 90 seconds at a time. And then I jump out and then I would jump back in. And again, I would just do this over and over again, thought it was a good idea. And then finally, the, the first month after doing that, my mom gets an $800 cable bill, thanks to the on-demand porn I inadvertently was purchasing. What I didn't know was that if you jumped in and out of the movie more than one time, you got charged for the entire movie. That was definitely not anywhere uh, on my radar screen at all. And now, of course, this has also set me down the path of, of trying to lie about my, my porn viewing habits. Because when my mom addressed me, she, she handed me the bill. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have no idea how those things got on the bill. And she called the cable company and said it must have been a technology error billing glitch. And they, they took those $800 charges off her cable bill, but they also disconnected the on-demand feature uh, of our cable box. And that was probably a good idea. But, but that was really the root of how I, how I got seduced by my culture, how porn took over my life. And it impacted relationships that I had with girls as a teenager. You know, it would impacted how I treated women I know I consider them sex objects. I go, you know, on a date with a girl. Uh, we might have sex and there might be a few dates. I fell in love quickly because I somehow equated sex and love because that's what I tried to fill up the, the love I was missing in my heart. I filled it up with sex and with porn. So I, those two ideas got mashed together, really screwed up my mind. So I fell in love really quick and then became really bored really fast. And I'd move on to the next girl. And, and I, I did that. Uh, I, I did that often. And, you know, there are, you know, this, this idea of sex and love and trying to understand what love is, you know, that there are, I had a lot of issues, let's just say to unpack that were rooted in my parents' divorce, rooted in the pornography that was that I had access to, uh, the sex that was sort of not hidden from my view. You know, my mom, at around the same time, my mom was having an affair with uh, a married man that would come over every Friday night on his quote-unquote bowling night, and they would have a drink at the dining room table. And again, like, let's remember, this is an apartment with very thin walls. And so they'd have a drink and then they'd go into my mom's bedroom. And thank goodness, 
that I had some some of those massive headphones of the 80s that I could plug in to my stereo and turn the volume way up uh, to my Quiet Riot records to avoid listening to my mom and her uh, partner going at it uh, every Friday night. So, so yeah, so that's, the, you know, when I, talk, when I put it out there like that, talk about, it, I was like, man, no wonder I, I had some, so many issues, but, um, you know, just like, just like any addiction though, I would say, you know, soon porn, porn wasn't enough. I needed stronger medication, if you will. I needed something stronger to deal with the anxiety and depression that I was starting to grow into as I got older. And that would lead me to when I, you know, obviously when I became an adult and had access to more money, uh, that uh, led to trips to strip clubs. And then it led to trips to adult theaters. And when I had more money, I could buy bigger and badder porn, if you will. And so it just, again, I was just trying to feed this hole in my heart that I never could, I could never fill up. And ultimately, that led me to moving on, sort of not away from porn, but instead of watching it in front of me or watching it at an adult theater, I needed the real thing. And my first marriage ended in me having an affair uh, with another woman, uh, got divorced. And then, you know, my porn addiction would sort of ebb and flow. I'd have a series of one night stands. And then I met my current wife, Amy, and it was all good. We, we both were non-religious people at the time when we got married. We were out partying, having a good time, enjoying all the what the world has to offer. And yes, having premarital sex along the way. And we got married. And then I would say my, my addictions were, they were sort of hidden away at that point. While I still looked at porn, it wasn't anything that I considered dangerous or causing any issues for me. But then three months after Amy and I got married, she dropped what I considered a nuclear bomb on our marriage. And she told me that she had found Jesus and became a born-again Christian. Now imagine my reaction. Here I am, a Jewish man, but really, you know, by, by culture, atheist by faith, and my wife has just told me three months after we were married that she's now a follower of Jesus. And as a Jew, my alarm bells are going off because, hey, I'm not supposed to talk about this. I am not supposed to read the New Testament of the Bible. That is hands off for me. And, you know, I kept thinking this whole time as this, we're having this conversation, I'm thinking, if you think to the wedding singer, the movie with Adam Sandler, and when he... He addresses the woman he was going to marry, his fiance, after she ditches him on his wedding day. He's like, this is information that would have been good to know yesterday. Like, I'm like thinking the same thing. Like, why couldn't he have told me sooner? Maybe we could have avoided getting married. But we obviously stayed together. But it, our relationship changed dramatically uh, at that point. And, you know, I, right after she told me, I, I ran over to my friends and 
basically told told them that Amy had lost her mind. She'd gone crazy. She found God, and I don't know how we're going to deal with this. And so uh, that's really what I would say sort of at the time, looking back on it, I probably blamed her for this, even though it, all these addictions, all these, all this evil that I brought into my world, ultimately, the responsibility falls on me. But I was trying to blame Amy because at that point, my addiction started to flare up again. And it was the old shame cycle tapes playing again. And just what the enemy was trying to tell me, put these lies into my head that says, well, see, look, Amy's got a new relationship with Jesus. You're out, buddy. And now here I am alone again. And now I've got to fill up this heart with something to help me feel love. And I turned to porn. And ultimately, that led me to seeking out women online and paying them to have sex with me. And I did that for the better part of six or five, six years of my marriage to Amy, where I would, I can't tell you the number of women that I met. Um, I could probably think about it and give you a number, but it, it would make my head hurt to think about that, to think about how much money that I spent on this addiction. Think about the evil I was bringing into my life, thinking about the, what this was doing to me physically, what this was doing to me mentally, spiritually, financially, it was, it was a drain. And, uh, and so ultimately that addiction in 2020, February 26, 2020. So almost two years ago to the day I went on a business trip to Chicago and on that Thursday morning, the last the last day of my trip, it was 7.30 in the morning. It was cold and snowy in, in Chicago. I was staying in downtown Chicago. Usually I would go for a run, but I woke up that morning and I, I don't know why, but I just felt like I needed to go visit a prostitute. And it wasn't like I was having any sort of urges or anything. It wasn't like I wasn't, um, you know, didn't have sex with Amy before I left. And like, there was no reason to say, I, I don't know why. I felt that urge, but it was just kind of, it's like getting sucked into a tractor beam. And I just, my mind said, I've got to satisfy this, this, uh, this urge. I've got to medicate myself, take away the anxiety that I was feeling for the series of meetings I was about to have that day. So picked up my phone, found some random website and, and found some random women online to go meet in her hotel room in downtown Chicago. And uh, I, I walked over to the to uh, her hotel room, went up to the room. Now, here's the first red flag. And I will say, like I said, this is not the first time I'd put myself in any situation like this. So I'm, I have trained myself to look for signs to know when to run and to know when to like turn around and not show up. But again, my brain was just disconnected and I felt like I had to go through with it. But like this woman wouldn't come downstairs to meet me to let me upstairs she put her key into a one of the elevators and I had to wait and see which elevator open. And if there's a key on the floor, that's the one I'd get in and, and take it up to her room. Kind of giving me a red flag right there, but okay. So I go upstairs, get into her room and uh, we take care of business. And as I was 
getting dressed and getting ready to leave the room, there was another bedroom in this hotel room and the door opened up. And out of this room walks a man. He looked like a Chicago Bears offensive lineman. I'd say he probably was 6'5", 300 pounds. He was dressed in drag for some reason, but he also was carrying a cell phone in his hand and, and he showed it to me and it had Amy's social media information on there and it also had her cell phone information on there. And he said, you're going to have to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. And that was the first time. And so I like to say, God visited me three times in the spring of 2020 to get my attention. This was the first attempt. And he hit me pretty good. And it was really the first time I thought to myself, well, <laughs> this is going to end badly. I'm going to, I'm going to take a knife or get a gunshot to the chest. I'm going to die in a hotel room at the hands of a prostitute. And my wife's going to get a call that says, yeah, we just found your husband murdered by a prostitute. That was something I did not want to have happen. So I did whatever I could to get out of that hotel room. And I was sort of bartering, like I'd make my way to the door and they'd say, well, we need more money. So I'd send $200 and I'd get closer to the door and they'd say, oh, well, it's my birthday. You need to send me more money. And I sent more money. By the time I got to the door and opened it and got out, I got out of there about $900 lighter uh, on my credit card, which all things considered, I think that was probably pretty good. So I take off and, and sprint down the hallway to the elevators. But as I'm, as I'm leaving and jumping on the elevator, I can hear their hotel room door open up behind me and they say, hey, Neil, you're going to have to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. And with that, the elevator doors opened up and I jumped on and, and got out of that, um, got out of that hotel and, you know, ran out of the hotel and like, it was a cold snowy morning, but it felt so good because like my heart was racing and all the blood was rushing to my head and, and it just felt good to be out in the cold air. And I'm thinking, well, that was lucky. I got out of there and, and this really, I would say it's why the, why I named the book that I wrote about this journey unmasked because I went up, I went about my day and nobody I came across in any of my business meetings had any idea I was just blackmailed by a prostitute. I went about my day, had my meetings, didn't let on. I mean, and that's been, that's been the routine I had my entire life. I never told anybody about any of the porn addiction or sex addiction that I had, nobody knew. I had this mask on that I hid everything under, everything. And, um, and that's how I, I went about my day. And I made it home to Kansas City that night. And Amy picked me up at the airport. And they still had not called her. So when I got into the car, I had a sigh of relief uh, that they hadn't called her. And, but Amy told me later, she would tell me, she's like, you were really weird when you came home that night. And yeah, it's because I was just waiting for her phone to ring. And we'll fast forward a couple nights to that fateful day, March 1st, 2020, two years ago, my life changed forever. I was about 930 at night. I am sitting in my office 
working on my computer and my phone starts blowing up and it's this couple from Chicago and they are texting me, uh, Neil, you've got 15 minutes to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. But not only that, they texted me a picture of me in a very compromising position. So again, I, at this point, I just, I don't know what I was thinking. I honestly, I just thought I'm going to ignore him. A great, <laughs> like, that's a great thing to do, right? I'm just going to ignore it. Hope it goes away. Hope they get bored. They're just bluffing. They would never call Amy because they, they would have to know once they called her, they wouldn't get any more money from me. So I ignored it. And then exactly 15 minutes later, 9.45 p.m., I hear Amy's phone ring upstairs in our bedroom. I hear the muffled sounds of the conversation and Amy charging out of the bedroom down the stairs and her footsteps are growing louder and louder. And she bursts into my office and she exclaims to me, Neil, are you cheating on me? And that was the day my life changed. Now, guess what? I'm going to make you come back next week to see how this story turns out because I'm going to leave it here for today. And next week, I'm going to get into what happened, how, what, <laughs> how Amy addressed me, how we sort of spent the next six weeks trying to figure out what was going on in our marriage. Trying to, I was trying to figure out the next six weeks, what is God doing to me? That's going to maybe transform me from an atheist to, to a follower of Jesus. No way that's happening. No way. But it was a very intense six weeks. I'll get into it in next week's show. So I do want to give thanks to my producer, Ben Shrewsbury. Ben, thank you for working your magic on this first episode. Looking forward to uh, many more ahead in the weeks and months ahead. And just thanks to all of you for coming on this journey with me. I, I really appreciate it. I'm, you know, just, I'm just a regular guy who had a very, <laughs> I don't know how to describe the encounter with God I have, but it, it, it has changed my life. And I'll just say, if you want to learn more about me, um, you can uh, check out my blog. You can check out some other podcast appearances I've been on. And obviously you can uh, find some information about my book, Unmasked. Conquering Sexual Sin and Walking in Victory. You can do that at my website, neilgetzlow.com, N-E-I-L-G-E-T-Z-L-O-W.com. So thank you again for, for being on this journey with me. And I look forward to talking to you next week. And remember, Jesus did not come to hang out with the saints and the righteous of the world. He came out to hang with the sick and the sinners, just like you and just like me. Have a good week, everybody.